Well, good morning, church. It's good to see all of you this morning. And uh, hey, next week we're going to have uh, joy of having several special guests with us. Um, some workers that we have supported for many years in East Asia uh, and are now making a transition to South Asia. Ray and Catherine Hentz will be with us, so uh, be, be, we're, we'll look forward to welcoming them and getting a chance to hear a little bit from them during the service too. And also, next Sunday will be Robbie and Erica Gray's first Sunday with us. So we are excited to have them here. Um, if you are interested in, in helping with, uh, you know, kind of unloading, helping to move in and settle into their place, uh, see Billy Moore. He's kind of, he's our POC for, for, you know, the moving crew and, you know, maybe there'll be a little painting or whatever in, as, they, as they kind of get ready and settled in. So talk to, talk to Billy. Well, last week, Pastor Bill Turner uh, helped complete uh, chapter 11 of Hebrews. We've taken the last couple months to uh, to walk through this awesome text of faith, many of these examples from the Old Testament of, of flawed men and women, but who were all in, who, who followed after Yahweh, uh, are given to us as examples of heroes of the faith. And so I appreciated Bill helping tie that all up with a bow for us. But I wanted to go back and look at the last two verses because what we have here is a transition right? We have really a baton pass going from chapter 11 to chapter 12, from the, from the heroes of the faith, the Old Testament, to us today. So let's go back and look back with me in your, in your Bibles, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39 and 40. And it reads, "...and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us." And get these next words here, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Well, when I, when I read this and I think about this, I think, are you kidding me? Does this mean that somehow we can improve on the faith of Old Testament heroes like Moses and Abraham and Rahab, who risked everything to follow God? I mean, how could we even in our lives, in our faith, compare. But what we saw, and, and Bill, I think, mentioned some of this last week, um, the meaning of verse 39 here is that, hey, they followed and they believed, but they had not yet received all that God had promised, right? And we have, so we have the full revelation of Christ. And, and so while our faith isn't necessarily stronger than theirs, it's more complete in the knowledge of Christ. And that's all glory to God, and boy, am I thankful to live now in, instead of back in, in that day. But what does it mean when it says that apart from us, they should not be made perfect? Well, <laughs> there, there's some different opinions on that. Um, perhaps this means that when we get to heaven, we will all be made perfect because God has had a plan from the beginning to gather the elect from all the nations, all the people groups. And so when we get there, God's plan in their lives and our lives will have been perfected. In fact, if you have an ESV study Bible, you'll, you'll see a note down there that, that says that the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints, quote, will partake together of the same end times perfection sinless selves in deathless resurrection bodies. And so I, I think that 
that's likely that that's part of the meaning here. But I, I see something more here in this phrase or this wording that says, apart from us, they should not be made perfect. There, there seems to be a sense that we Christians today are in this life of faith together with Father Abraham and, and Sister Rahab, so that with us, their efforts will be perfected. The, the idea here would be that of a, a relay race of, of faith. Well, talk about humbling to be even associated in the same arena with these champions of the faith, right? And, and motivating that, that we, we should be running. We, we shouldn't be taking a break. We should be, we should be running this race. Well, our, our text this morning, the first two verses that Pastor Joshua read for us here of chapter 12, it, it completes that baton pass, that, that transition from the saints of the Old Testament to those of the new, which include us. So let, let's look at these words carefully together this morning. Therefore, and again, whenever you see that, you know we've got an important transition, right? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So I've got three points for you this morning. If you're, if you're um, inclined to follow along with the listening guide that's in your bulletin, there's three blanks. Uh, try to make it real simple this morning. Um, the first is listen up. The very first point is listen up. You are in an endurance race. Now, now the worst way that I can think to run a long distance race is to forget that you're in a race, right? To get distracted. To, to stop running, I mean, or, or rowing or whatever you're doing, that's, that's a long-distance endurance race. And you know, for us, life is often a grind, if we're honest. And, and maybe your life is kind of a, a checklist, uh, a routine that you find yourself in. And, and every day you get up and you kind of, you just got to get through, you got to get through it. And, and so you, you have to even plan breaks like vacations or, or something to look forward to just to kind of keep going. Well, if that's true for you, the, the Bible says, listen up, wake up. Your, your life is much more than that, than just a checklist, right? Um, in fact, the, the, the Bible says that, that you are in a long distance race that is spiritual in nature, and you got to get serious about running that race of faith. Now, now, this isn't the only place in the Bible that likens the Christian life to an endurance race. Paul was fond of the race metaphor. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24, he says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may be able to obtain it. That means with intentionality. So Mystery Man here tells us in verse 1, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, I think it's interesting those words set before us. 
Know that God is the one who has sovereignly prepared the endurance race of your life. So just like we, we, we carry different sized crosses as we follow after Jesus, and, and you can trust as you go through the struggles and sufferings of life that God is the one who's actually carved or whittled the cross for you, all right? Um, the race that is set before you has been sovereignly set before you by God, and not all of us have equal races to run. And we see here in our text that there are witnesses to our race. In fact, there's a whole cloud of, of witnesses. That, that word cloud, is, this is the only place in the New Testament where that Greek word is used. And, and what it, it, it could be translated a literal cloud, but, but here it, it means, and it means in other places in, in literature, a throng, like an unnumerable number of people of witnesses who are watching. And so, Mystery Man here begins this text by saying, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So there are individuals watching the race that we run. Now, who are these witnesses then? I mean, are these angelic beings? There are scriptures that indicate that there are angelic beings watching how we live our Christian lives, how we run our race. But the, the word witness here in verse 1 actually has the very same Greek root word as the word commended back in verse 39 when we read, and all these though commended through their faith. And last week, Pastor Bill shared with us that that Greek word for commended is actually the same word where we get our word martyr. So they were commended by God by their witness of faith by being willing to suffer, okay? We get that word martyr. And so there's a, it's basically the same word, the word witnesses in verse one, the cloud of witnesses with verse 39. And these though commended, the commended ones, right? So just looking at the text here, it, it's, it's pretty clear that it's not, he, Paul, the mystery man here isn't talking about angels. He's talking about the Old Testament heroes that we've looked at in chapter 11, now, in, in one sense, these heroes have already provided a witness to us of how to run in faith by the example of their own lives of authentic faith. Certainly not perfect faith, but authentic faith. So they should encourage us as we run to run as they did with their willingness to, to follow God, often at great cost. But there's, there's a sense here in which they're not just witnessing through their own lives and their own past, but there's a sense here in which they're actually eagerly watching us run our ways, watching us from heaven. Now, I'll just say that there's some mystery here. Um, I, I do not believe, based on the um, weight of Scripture, that we are the primary object of their interest. God is. But there's a sense here in which they are watching that the metaphor that we're given here is that of a coliseum filled with athletes who've completed their race now watching us run ours. And, and they're rooting for us. And, and they're, they're looking intently to see, are we going to run with endurance? And are we going to finish well as they have? Now, I don't know about you, but and I'm no great athlete, but when I've been in a, any kind of an athletic competition, 
I have performed better when other people were watching. Okay, there's something motivating about others being there watching. Now, I think there's a word of caution for us today, and and that's this. Let's not get distracted by the witnesses, right? Let's not get distracted into asking saints or even by um, extension, you could say, ancestors who've gone on to heaven and maybe watching. Let's not ask them for help. We, We certainly should be inspired by the saints of old, and, and maybe we should even run a little harder knowing that they're counting on us to keep running our section of the race. But when we look for help, that should be to Christ alone. And that's why we don't see statues here in our building of, of Peter and James and, and Paul and, you know, St. Michael the dragon slayer. Uh, we don't pray to these individuals. We, don't, we honor them. We honor the Virgin Mary, but we don't pray to her. We go to Christ alone for help in our race because he's the perfect helper. He's the perfect mediator and intercessor. First Timothy 2.5 says, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Hebrews 7.25 says, consequently, he, that is Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. So right now we have a helper who is watching us intently and able to assist and is actually praying for us in our race, and that's no no one less than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I can tell you this, as a a kid uh, playing soccer uh, before, not a huge crowd, but a small group of, of people watching, if my dad was able to make it to the game, and he, he was a doctor, he worked long hours, but if my dad showed up, I can tell you that I played as hard as I possibly could because I wanted to please my dad. I gave it everything I had. Dr. Moeller says this about the tendency that, that some Christians have had to get distracted and actually look towards saints. He writes, certainly Christianity is not a cult of hero worship. It is centered on the singularity of Jesus Christ. Now, where I might disagree a little bit, I would say Jesus is the ultimate hero. We ought to worship him. But Moeller is talking about all these saints of, of, of Hebrews chapter 11. We shouldn't get distracted and worship them. He says, we're not here because of Abel, Moses, Abraham, or even those who were sawn in two. The church exists because Jesus died and rose again, and the only way to endure is by looking to him. The great cloud of witnesses encourages and inspires us, but the one who keeps us in the race is Christ alone. And so, brothers and sisters, we need to remember that our Savior and our Master and our hero, Jesus, is watching and and rooting for us to run every day of our lives, the the spiritual race that he's given to us to run with endurance. And so we need to be aware that we're in a race, but if we're going to keep running this race, we also need to, and this is our second point, we need to lighten up. And I don't mean that metaphorically. Um, Asher Rask, let me invite you to come on down here um, and give me a hand here for a second, just as an illustration. you know, Friday, Asher and I were hanging out a little bit, and he asked me, he's a very smart young man, by the way, um, Asher asked me if I'd like to go on a backpacking trip with him sometime. 
super intelligent guy. And so, Asher, you kind of inspired me. And I was just thinking about this text and application. And so, I thought you could kind of help me out here this morning a little bit. Good to see you, brother. Good to see you, too. And, and so, I've got two backpacks that I've packed here for our, our trip, all right? So, just to give you a little context, and maybe everybody here a little bit of context, all right? What I have in mind, uh, at least for this illustration, would be the High Sierra Trail in California, Sierra Nevadas, right? We might actually do a little extension. So we're looking at a seven-day trip. We've got to be able to survive out there seven days, um, you know, without, a, without really any exit ramps. And uh, we're looking at mountains, uh, some snow. Uh, we're looking at some canyons, some river crossings, maybe a few places where we've got to kind of cross some, some streams uh, over logs, that kind of stuff, right? So I've got two backpacks here, and I thought I would let you choose which one you want to take. Big, big decision. Very important, right? Um, and so, uh, you, you know, you might want to try them on. I don't know. I, I figured you being a strapping lad would maybe prefer the big one here uh, first. Um, you like that one. Well, you haven't really seen what's inside yet. One very important thing when you're looking for a backpack is the fit, the try. So you being a strapping lad, why don't you throw this guy on here, just kind of see how it, how it feels. Just so you know, um, my daughter Grace tried it on last night and said it wasn't too, too bad. So why don't you strap it on all the way, um, just, just kind of see the feel. You know, you can, you know, I think this will fit around your waist, but you, wanna, you always want to kind of see how a pack, pack weighs and feels and moves with your body. Very important. Um, yeah, this was actually my very first backpack. So when I was about your age, maybe a year or two older, back in 93, I got this backpack. I was a rafting guide in West Virginia and was doing quite a bit of backpacking around. So this is my first long distance pack. And so I kind of packed this one up and, and we'll, we'll kind of compare items and, and all that kind of stuff between the two. But basically, um, we don't have everything in here that you need. Um, but we've got everything I think. I got, got about eight items in each pack that we actually absolutely need for survival out on the trail. Okay, so, um, you know, there's a few more things you might want to add, like your toothbrush maybe, you know. But um, anyway, um, I, I wasn't able, I do have it in this pack here. I've got my, my little one-man tent here. But um, I, I wasn't able to fit this in there. I tried. Um, but anyway, I've got a tent here for you. So, you know, you can figure out, you know, how to, I don't know if you want to just kind of, I've got some paracord at home we could maybe tie onto the back. Um, or maybe you might want to figure out a way to kind of lash onto the front, you know, like that. That way of equal, kind of equal weight as we, as we go. So anyway, let's, uh, let's take a little walk here. It's kind of good to get a feel, you know, for your equipment and all that. Um, one of the best things you can do around here for a, a trip like what we're going to take is uh, go down to the uh, stadium at, in, uh, at, at Niceville High School. And you can kind of run the steps up and down maybe a hundred times. Because we don't have any mountains around here to train on. But, you know, you want to take your gear and up and down, up and down. So how's it feeling so far for you? I mean, right now it feels pretty good. Good? I don't know. I'm not sure a couple miles, though. You're not sure about a couple miles? So what's, what's kind of bothering you right now? What are you thinking about? I mean, I, I, you know, I can tell it's going to be going to be bulky, and this is hard to carry, so. Yeah, we get, we'll get some paracord, figure that out. This, this, this tent, by the way, is awesome because you can, I mean, you can just pull out of the bag, and you can, you can um, just basically push a button, and the whole thing just pops up. And you can stick your whole family in there, and I realize it's just going to be you and me, and I've already got my tent. Um, but, you know, you could invite, you could do your calisthenics in there in the morning. You could, uh, you could, you know, you could invite a bear family in if you wanted to, and there's room. I mean, you could, you know, you could put all kinds of critters in there. So anyway, let's come on up here so everyone can kind of see what we've got inside. Um, hey, you want to do like a pull-up competition right now? Not right now. 
You know, Asher waited uh, three or four years ago. Uh, he had been training to challenge me. We had this thing going where you could, you could um, get an IBC from him if you beat me at pull-ups. And you could come any time, you know? And so um, he, he shows up the day after, my first day back on the job after having the flu and having pneumonia. And he says, I challenge you. <laughs> so anyways, a smart, smart fella. So anyway, um, well, we want to look at what's inside these packs. We can kind of look and decide. You know, I, I get that one's a little heavier. Um, that one's around maybe 60 pounds or so. Um, mine, I weighed this. And this, again, same basic stuff. It's about 10 pounds. So, um, but again, strong guy. And of course, you can decide which one you, which one you want. Um, but, you know, you may look inside and say, hey, I, you know, I want this item. And it's all a package deal, just so, you, just so you know. So anyway, yeah, why don't you go ahead and open it up and kind of look at what, what we got in there. And, um, you know, there's, again, maybe a few other things you would need to add, um, maybe a little more food, that kind of stuff. But I've got some basic essentials for, for survival in, uh, in each, and basically the same categories. So yeah, go ahead, and there's some straps there. What do you, what do you got there at the top? Got my oh, yeah. In fact, that's an ESV study Bible. So I figured, uh, you know, you being a, a stu- student of the Word would definitely want some good material for your devotions every day. Yeah, and I've, I have a, I got a Bible app on my phone, just so, just so y'all know. Um, here you go, you can put that here, brother. So what, el- what else do we got? Well, uh, got a uh, leather jacket. Oh yeah, man, I'll try, try it on, see if it fits. You're a little taller than me, but. Ashley, do you have any French in you, by any chance? Okay, no French at all. You know, the French believe in being well-dressed at all times. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a little cold at night where we're headed. And, uh, you know, I was thinking, um, you know, you need, uh, man, that does look good on you. (laughs) Not only the elements, but you never know. There could be some, you know, little mademoiselles that come along on the trail. And I'm taken. Um, I've got a, you know, I've got just a little jacket here. It's not quite as, you know, cool looking as that one. But uh, it'll, you know, it's probably as warm, maybe a little bit warmer even, you know, and does a little better in the wind maybe. So, um, you know, this is a little, uh, little Patagonia jacket right here. A little more lightweight, but again, you know, there's something to be said about fashion. So what, what, else, what else you got in there? Well, I got a, oh man, up in root beer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, we're going to get thirsty, Asher. Well, you notice that, um, you know, there's eight of these, and we're, ta- we're looking at a seven-day trip. Yeah. But I thought, you know, around the campfire, maybe you'd share one of these with me. Um, put them in the river and get them nice and cold. So, yeah, just so you know, I, um, I brought a, um, a little water filter kit. It's got a camelback as well. So, you know, this should, you know, you should be able to filter about 1,000 gallons here before you have to worry about things. So that's kind of my plan. So, yeah, what else, what else you got? Oh yeah, yeah, we're gonna definitely be hungry out there. So, what else, what else you got? You can keep pulling them out here. And potatoes. Yeah, you know, man, <laughs> man, man shall not live by rice alone, Asher. So, and of course, you're gonna need something to cook with, so I brought a... You got my cast iron skillet. <laughs> yeah, I figured, uh, you know, if you needed a little bear protection, but, you know, believe it or not, sometimes you'll be out there and, and you'll actually see like a Boy Scout troop uh, all red-faced and, and huffing along, and they'll have these things hanging on the back of their packs. <laughs> but I've got a uh, mountain house. It's about three ounces. 
just add hot water, um, a couple of these um, dehydrated foods. So that's kind of what I had in mind for this, this pack. What else you got, brother? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, we're definitely going to need some firewood. I thought it might be fun to cut down a couple trees while we're out there. I'm sure they won't mind uh, National Park Service. So, yeah, the, um, you know, I didn't bring an axe in this bag, but um, we do have a, uh, you know, you, you never leave home without a, without a knife. Um, so, you know, you can whittle, whittle stuff down. But, you know, with this, I was thinking if you had to, you know, you, you know, if you couldn't find a good hiking stick, you could use this a little bit. And we might be going through a few, you know, Icy areas. So if you had to do a nice arrest, this might this might work for you. Yes, so never know. You might always want an axe. So what, anything else in there, brother? Um, oh yeah, you got to stay warm. What do you got in there for for warmth? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is a baby alpaca blanket from uh, Peru. Picked that up on a mission trip years ago, and that thing kept me warm. In fact, I, I wasn't sure if one would quite be enough. I think it will be down to freezing at night. Um, so I actually packed two of those in there for you. So yeah, we, these kept Beth and I warm and cold nights in Afghanistan. And so I thought, uh, you know, you might enjoy having two of those for you. They're a little on the heavy side, but I've got my lightweight, about a pound and a half. But it's 32 degree down sleeping bag here. So that's what I was kind of thinking for, for this kit. So yeah, you may want to add a few things, Asher. Uh, here's the tent as well. So, um, you know, it's about three pounds maybe. Um, but yeah, having seen the, the beauty of the contents of, of, of this kit here, if you had to choose, which would you take? Um, well, given the scenario, I think I'll take yours. That's a wise decision, brother. Okay, so you get the, thank you very much. Let's give Asher a hand here for his help. Well done. You're raising a, a wise young man here, Rask family, so uh, good job. Keep at it. Uh, what's the point of this whole little illustration? Lighten up. That's right. That's right. You know, um, the, it, it, is, it is vital uh, if we're going to run a race that we run light. Nobody would ever enter an ultra marathon without seriously divesting weight because every ounce counts. And so in our text here, Hebrews 12, 1b says, let us also lay aside every weight and, and the sin that clings so closely. So I see two categories here, okay? I see weight and I see sin. Now, now some of the things that might slow us down and even distract us in the, in the race of faith, they might not be sinful in themselves, but like, like the Acts or like the IBCs here, okay? Uh, they might actually be great in certain contexts, but in a, in a race or in a long-distance backpacking trip, they might be excess baggage. They might be things in your life that end up sucking your time or distracting you, that, that too quickly tempt you to take your eyes off Jesus and, and end up slowing you down in your race of faith. So let me encourage you, church, to be wary and careful of the media you consume. You know, I, I think that some secular movies can be inspiring, but, but there are others out there, and, and many, most, that, that push false philosophies that, that could distract you more than you realize from your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, 
right? Maybe you don't need cable TV in your house. Now, I'm not saying there's anything inherently sinful about that medium, right? There's nothing more righteous about uh, streaming versus having a cable going into your, your home. But maybe if you do an honest assessment, the current amount of media influence that you're consuming is actually harmful to your soul. And, it, and it's slowing you down. It's, it's weight that you don't need. Well, what about social media, right? It can, it, it's, it's something that can be used for good, uh, but boy, can it be a distractor from the Christian race. Maybe, maybe you need a fast from it. You know, I've been on a fast from social media for almost two years now, and it's been wonderful for my soul. It's been freeing for, for my soul. Now, I'm going to mention one other category here uh, that, that I think falls into weight, um, your friendships. And, and young people, uh, Asher, uh, as you head off to college next year, and, and young people in college, and as you're thinking about even in high school, you need to think very carefully about the friends that you choose. Do, do they help you in your race of faith, or do they distract you? And by that, I, I, I don't believe that Christians should only have Christian friends. I, I hope that you're seeking to build relationships with people who need Jesus for the point of sharing Jesus with them. But if there's somebody in your life who truly, if you could honestly assess, influences you more than you influence them, and they're distracting you from that race, that may be weight that you need to divest yourself from. Well, let's, let's, let's talk turkey for a minute, right? Let's think about our money. Um, I, I, in, a, in a former ministry, I used to counsel sometimes with medical school students who believed they were called to missions. And they were in medical school for the point of graduating with a, a, an MD or, or maybe they were doing something else, you know, a, a pharmacy degree or something like that. And they were going to the mission field. They were certain God had called them to the mission field. Well, I used to counsel them and say, listen, I got it that you may need some loans here to, to get through med school. And, and, but listen, as soon as you graduate, there are going to be all kinds of, of, lo- of, of people offering to give you big old loans for homes. And you may be poor as dirt, but it's your earning potential they're after. Don't do it. Don't buy a house. Keep a light footprint. If God is calling you to the mission field, here's what you're going to do. You're going to get yourself a big old house, and what do you do with the big house? You fill it with stuff, right? And guess what? Every single item of stuff is going to weigh you down, right? It may be great, and there may not be inherently anything sinful about it. I mean, these are, these are wonderful. I mean, these are, these are, I'm tempted right now to open it up. But you know what? It, it will slow you down. And, and you know what? You, you're going to have a family, and you, you know, spend the next 10 years paying these loans and those loans, and you know what? You may never make it to the field. So you need to intentionally, to complete the mission, the, the race that God has set for you, right? To run that race well, you may need to make some sacrifices that other people don't make. And you need to keep a light footprint. But you know, that's not just true for people who are on track to go to the mission field, that the principle stands for all of us. How, how do we use our money? You know, may, maybe you're out there in the market for a home right now. Well, maybe you shouldn't buy the biggest house that you possibly could afford, right? With the amount of credit people are willing to give you. Because you know what that may do? It may tie up your finances with debt and limit you from opportunities to serve Christ and his kingdom with, with your money or with your time. And so there's a blessing 
with having a light footprint, both with stuff and with time. It allows you to invest more in God's kingdom. So there's this category of weight that we spend a lot of time thinking about, and I, I hope and I pray that as you go through your lives, you'll remember this and, and think about that as you make decisions, uh, decisions that require wisdom, um, where it may not be a sinful versus a righteous decision, but there may be what is helping me best run my race and keep my eyes on Jesus. But there are also the things that are clear, okay? Uh, the, the, the sinful things. And, and so if you guys remember in 2010, after the Deepwater Horizon oil spill in the Gulf, we, had, we, we were transitioning from, from Central Asia to London. We were back for a couple weeks. And I remember going out right after this whole thing happened, there were, there were these tar balls down at the beach. And you remember all these, these people were out there being paid to kind of go and find the tar balls. And I found one without even meaning to. I, I would just walk down in the water and my, my toes just sunk right below the, the sand into a tar ball. And I'm telling you, it took days. I mean, I tried everything. It, it was really hard to get all that tar out from between my toes. Sorry for the illustration there, for the visual. But you know, the longer that we indulge sin, the, the harder it is to get rid of it. It, it, it sticks to us. It, it's, it's sticky here. It, it clings closely. And our besetting sins that, that cling so closely pull us in the opposite direction of, of running after Jesus, right? Pastor Kent Hughes writes that we each have characteristic sins that more easily entangle us than others. Some sins that tempt and degrade others hold little appeal for us and vice versa. Sensuality might be the Achilles heel for many men, but not for all. Another who has gained victory over such sin may regularly down jealousy's deadly nectar, not realizing that it is rotting his soul. Dishonesty may never tempt some souls, for guile simply has no appeal to them, but you just cross them and you will feel Satan's temper. What sin is it that so easily entangles you or me? Covetousness, envy, criticism, laziness, hatred, lust, unthankfulness, pride. Whatever sin it is, it must be stripped off and left behind. Our sin is heavier than we realize, weighing us down, not like Pilgrim with that burden on his back, you know? Like Asher, if he had carried that backpack for half a day, uh, it would have been weighing him down. We, we must intentionally call out to God's Spirit in repentance and for help to divest ourselves of these sins. So we need, to, we need to lighten up. And finally, we need to look up. Finish your race by keeping your eyes on Christ. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on this earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now there, there is something to be said in life about endurance, right? About keeping on, about taking the word quit out of your vocabulary, as one mentor of mine used to, used to say. Another used to say, he's with the Lord now, but he used to look at us, and we're Greek students, and he used to say, gentlemen, it is always too soon 
to quit. And boy, was he right. Maybe, maybe you need to endure through a hard job or a challenging class or even a tough marriage. But the truth is, we are not strong enough in our own strength to endure by ourselves, the Christian faith, the, the Christian race, right? Isaiah 40, 30 says, even youths shall faint and be weary and young men will fall exhausted. But the truth is, if our eyes are on Jesus, we learn how to endure through a tough race. And that's why verse 2 is all about Jesus. It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So we need to keep our focus on Jesus as we run our race every day. And what that means, Christians, brothers and sisters, if you know Jesus, you need him every morning. You do. You need to start your day with a quiet time. You need to open your Bible. Before you start doing a bunch of other stuff, you need to talk to him. Ask him for help with the big things, with the, with the little things. You don't know what all is coming, but you need him. So you got to have eyes on him. And we see in our text that Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Now, the, the word for founder simply means the pioneer. All scripture points to Jesus. So he's the, the, the one that, that is the pioneer of our faith. I mean, in fact, the very, very faith I have and you have is a gift from him to you. But he's also the perfecter of our faith. He's the hero, the, the role model that we, we, we run after. But he's, he, he's a worthy role model. But he's also the one who will bring us through to the end of our race if we keep our eyes on him. And Jesus showed us how to do it, how to, how to look beyond the pain that may be right in front of us and how to, to look past it to the finish line. And so how did he do that? How did he endure the cross itself? Well, he was motivated by future joy. As he was taking the, the scorn and, and the nails of the cross, Jesus thought about the, the joy of being reunited with his Father. He, he thought about the glory of, of heaven itself. We read in Romans 8.18, Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. Now, I believe Jesus wasn't only looking forward to reunion with his Father and the glory of heaven because he knew what that was all about. He came from there. I believe also he was looking forward to that sense of satisfaction of completing a mission. Some of you have experienced that, a hard mission. And there's something about completing a mission and knowing it is finished. The satisfaction of his mission of love, which was securing our salvation. Now, when I look at it, you, I know that, that some of you are suffering right now. Some of you aren't here, and, and we pray for you. Maybe you're watching from home, and, and you're going through a hard time in your life. But, but none of us has had to suffer crucifixion or had the, the stain of humanity's sin laid on our shoulders. And so as we look forward to Easter in a couple of Sundays, let's remember a Good Friday. And let's remember that, that, that Jesus can empathize with everything we go through because he has categorically walked through it himself 
and yet without sin. He is our role model. So what does it mean that Jesus despised the shame? Well, let's look at those words. Let's, let's think about the shame that he endured at the cross. You know, crucifixion was a Roman invention, a cruel Roman invention, designed not only for torture, but for supreme public embarrassment. There's, there's really not much that I can think of more humiliating. I don't know if anything, honestly, more humiliating than being slowly killed in front of people, right? I mean, there's nothing more undignifying than having your life taken from you in slow motion. That's what crucifixion was. In gruesome, uh, painful um, display uh, of great shame. Being strung out naked on a cross for the world to watch you fight for your life knowing that you're going to lose. That, that it was a cruel form of torture but of humiliation. And Jesus did not enjoy that, all right? But the word despise is used here. Well, what does that mean? The, the word despise, as it's used in Scripture, is it, maybe the best definition would be to think little of it, right? To, to minimize it, to think little of it. And so Jesus was able to dismiss the great pain and shame of the cross as nothing, compared to the glory that awaited him at the finish line. So he was able to look beyond the pain and the shame to future glory. And this is the key to endurance, as all of us are going to have some kind of suffering, some kind of struggle on our race course, in our life. And Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So when you think about the ark of Jesus' life and his experience. He went from, from high, right? The, the, the God the Son, second person of the Trinity, uh, eternity passed in, in incomprehensible glory to the incarnation, to the human life, to rejection, to death on a cross, to resurrection, and to absolute glory. He went from ultimate pain and humiliation to total victory and honor. And so when he cried out, it is finished. And, and later he told his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He then sat down like a hero at the right hand of the throne of God. Well, that's the story or the arc of Jesus' life. And you know, it's also the story, if you think about it, of the life of the Christian. When you think about a normal life, we're born, we, we grow up, we become strong as young people, and as we get older, we become weak, right? Uh, and, and to the point of death, we become too weak to be able to stay alive. We succumb to some illness, and we die. But for the Christian, we rise to glory, and that's the finish line. That's the story of Jesus' life. That's the story of the life of the Christian. And so life, like, like his master Jesus at the end of his life, Paul wrote from a cold Roman dungeon right on the eve of his death, knowing that, that any moment he was going to be dragged out and have his head taken from him, he was going to be executed, he was able to look beyond that. And not just fear the executioner's axe or blade, but he wrote in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 
Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. He looked beyond, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but to also all who have loved his appearing. So, brothers and sisters, looking beyond the pain to the joy set before us is truly the secret of the Christian life. So how about you? Do you believe that glory awaits? True glory awaits? If so, we ought to be the most hopeful people in the world. We ought to be the most joyful people in the world. Are you running your race with gospel focus? Are your eyes fixed forward on on Jesus? He's our hero and our standard. He finished his race well, and the only way that we will finish our endurance race well is if we keep our eyes daily focused on him. Paul put it this way in Philippians 3. He said, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. By that, Paul meant his esteem and his education. That's what he, that's what he was talking about, his prestige. I, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So let's run our race with endurance, brothers and sisters, eyes focused on Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we quiet our hearts and as we Christians prepare for a time of communion, Lord, I, I pray that, that we would be quick to divest ourselves of any weight that is holding us down. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd reveal to us unknown sins, or maybe even sins that we knew about as we walked in this room that we need to repent of. And we thank you that you promise us if we confess said sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of those sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, I pray that you would look at our hearts and Lord, that we would be able to commune with you, not because of our own righteousness, but because we're clothed in Christ and because we're not clinging to any weight that would hinder our walk with you. We thank you that we have a great Savior. And Lord, I do want to pray during this time that if there's anyone in here who doesn't yet know you, I pray that today you would draw them to this great Savior and that they would start running this race with us of faith. We pray in in Christ's name. Amen.